Hey, Declaration family, I'm Daniel. I want to take a minute to fill you in on some things going on that you don't want to miss. So whether you're joining us online or in person, welcome to church. Twice a month, you have the opportunity to participate in DNA One right here after the 9 a.m. service. DNA One is all about who we are as a church and how together we can make a difference for God. This class will teach you why we are a church of small groups and how you can plug in. DNA One will also let you explore serve team opportunities right here at Declaration. The next DNA One is November 12th at 10.30. Sign up online today. At Declaration, prayer is the foundation of everything we do. And at First Tuesday, we've set time aside to pray and worship together as a church body. So everyone's invited this Tuesday, November 7th at 7 p.m. at the Declaration Warehouse. The holiday season is here. Can you believe it? This holiday and Christmas season, we wanna focus on kingdom, communion, and community. We have many opportunities for you and your family to serve and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Flood of Love Christmas Give Outreach, where we provide gifts for over 300 students right here in Montgomery County each year. Christmas Bash, where we welcome over 2,000 members of our community to a safe, fun, and Christ-centered environment. Partnering with the Gateway Community Food Pantry to provide meals for families right here in 77386. And loving on and serving breakfast to families and individuals in need at Breakfast in the Park every quarter. We get to be a part of setting the table and making a big impact in Montgomery County during the holidays. Want to learn more about how you and your family can help set the table for the community this season? Visit the Declaration website or the Connection Center today. 2 Corinthians 8-9 teaches us that generosity is a privilege. We're reminded that generosity sets the table for others to encounter and follow Jesus. To be a part of generosity at Declaration, pray and ask the Lord what He would have you give, and then just be obedient. There are a few ways you can give through Declaration. You can text GIVE to 43000. You can visit the website declaration.org slash give, or you can drop your giving in one of the boxes at the response tables. If you're visiting for the first time, we want you to know that we consider you a part of the family, and we would love to get to know you. Do us a favor and text CONNECT to 43000 and fill out a connection card right on your phone. You can also scan the seat back in front of you or find a connection card at one of the response tables. You can find more information about everything you've heard today at declaration.org or the Connection Center in the lobby. Tough times just come with age Remember when things were so innocent Now I just want to rage I want to introduce you to this guy um, You might have wondered, who is this guy up here leading worship? And, and uh, I just want to introduce you to him Because I think this is so cool You know, you heard us talk about partnering with Gateway Food Pantry and, and um, one of the coolest things that's happened here in the past few months is a group of our young adults organically on their own gathered one night just hanging out and worship breaks out. The spirit of God falls in the room and man, they get vision. Isn't that cool? And is that not biblical? Hello? And, um, and so they start this thing called warehouse worship. And um, this is Carson Cooper. Come here. You're already up here. Don't be shy now. <laughs> This is Carson, and, and I just wanna, I want you to, to know who he is because um, here's what I love about this. You know, Jesus talks about unity a lot. In fact, it's very, um, I believe that, that he's passionate about unity. And what we've seen play out, especially through things like our partnerships with different ministries and churches and warehouse worship and things like that is, is us coming together as the body of Christ. No ego, no logo, come on. And just saying, hey, we're on the same team. We, we serve the same God. Um, we have the same privilege to serve that God. So this is Carson Cooper. He is the son of Pastor Galen and their family pastors, Oak Ridge Baptist Church. And we just want to thank you for leading us in worship this morning. Thank you so much. Can we pray for you real fast? I just wanted our church to know who you are because um, I'm seeing some really cool things happen with our young adults and you're a big part of that. And so let's just pray for um, Carson. Let's pray for Oak Ridge Baptist and... Um, would you just pray for just a minute, just a prayer of blessing over that church, Pastor Galen and his family. Confirm the work of their hands, Lord. Continue to move in power. Lord, thank you for Carson. God, thank you for his life. Thank you that at a young age, he surrendered to you. And thank you, God, that you are using him in powerful and mighty ways 
to lead your people into the Holy of Holies, to lead your people to exalt you. And Lord, I, I, I believe you delight in that. And so Father, um, would you just continue to pour out your presence upon him in his life, God. Anoint him in even greater measure. And Lord, I just pray for such an intimacy between him and you, um, that as he leads, Father, uh, not only is he able to be swept away in worship of you, but also um, people would be willing to follow in that path to be able to worship you as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Hey, I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Well, new series today. I I want to start this way. A few years ago, I actually told this story, and as we began this new series, I I said, man, I got to go back. It's, It's a very appropriate story. Um, chances are you won't remember it anyway, so I shouldn't even said that, but that's okay. Um, it's a true story actually about a guy named Ira Yates. Ira, you can actually Google this and find out. Ira lived in the times of the Great Depression and, and he owned this sheep ranch. He kept accumulating land and accumulating land and then all of a sudden the depression hits and, and due to the depression, he was having a hard time um, just making enough money to make it happen, right? To, to operate the ranch, to feed the sheep, to keep food and clothes on the table. I mean, he, he wasn't making enough hardly to pay the interest and the mortgage and all the things. Man, they hit this really hard patch. They found that they had very little, um, little money for everyday things. Now, it wasn't long until uh, Mr. Yates began to wonder, man, are we going to survive? I mean, day after day, he would go and he would um, move his sheep from one pasture to the other to allow them to graze over those West Texas hills. And he would, he would kind of be lost deep and just feeling like he was drowning in debt. And, and how would they pay their bills? How would they make it? Would they make it? And then one day, just when Mr. Yates had just about decided to give up completely, along comes this seismographic crew from an oil company. It was actually Marathon Oil at the time. And in informs him that there could be oil on his property. They asked Mr. Yates at that point permission to drill a well, and of course, immediately, he signed a lease. Now, the Yates Pool, what's known as the Yates Pool, had been discovered. It was not long until they hit 1,115 feet. They strike this massive oil reserve. That first well produced about 80,000 barrels a day. Imagine Now, many subsequent wells began to produce more than twice that amount. In fact, 30 years after the discovery of the Yates Pool, a test of one of the wells revealed that it still had the potential flow of 125,000 barrels of oil every day, and the Yates family had owned it all. Mr. Yates owned every bit of that. When he purchased the land, he also got the mineral rights and the oil rights, yet he had no idea what he had, he had no idea what he was sitting on and he was there barely making it. I mean, just scraping through years of hardship, trying to survive. You know, imagine this, a potential billionaire living in poverty. Just think about that. Mr. Yates had no idea what he had access to. He wasn't aware that all that time he already owned more than enough, everything needed, and so, so, so much more already there, right there at his disposal. He was ridiculously rich, but he didn't know it. Now listen, here's the truth this morning about those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus. Unplug your worldly thought process for just a second and listen to what I'm about to say. We are ridiculously rich, wealthy beyond the world's imagination and understanding with everything that we could ever need. In fact, we have access right this very second to more than enough. We are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And because of this, we have birthright. We have all access to every resource of his kingdom. It's already ours. But do we know it? Do we believe it? Do we live like we know it? Do we live like we believe it? Have we accessed it? Here's the tragic truth this morning. For whatever reason, whether it's because of a lack of spiritual formation, discipleship, a theological view possibility, a a tradition that is not willingly, you know, ready to embrace this truth. There are far too many Christians and followers of Christ who live in spiritual poverty because of their lack of awareness and understanding of the Holy Spirit. Many, 
Many people are not aware of their identity in Christ. Many people aren't aware of the authority given to them. What lives, resides within them. Many are not aware of the power available to them. They are entitled to all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, his energizing power, but tragically, far too many of them are not aware of what they possess or have access to. They aren't aware of their birthright. Today, I want us to dive into who God is as we look at the person of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to what I just said. As we look at the person of the Holy Spirit. We've entitled this series appropriately Numa, um, Not Panuma for all the hooked on phonics people. But Numa, which by definition, listen, is a noun. Numa, a noun. Now we've always learned a noun is what? A Okay, come on, good third grade. Let's do that again. We've learned a noun is what? A a person, place, or a thing. Now, according to dictionary.com, pneuma means um, a soul or vital spirit. Breath, spirit, soul, a breathing. So when we think about the Holy Spirit, what do we think the Holy Spirit to be? Um, do we believe the Holy Spirit to be a person or a place or maybe for some an event, an outpouring, maybe, or a thing? Um, have you ever listened to the way people talk about Holy Spirit? How you talk about Holy Spirit, right? Maybe you've heard this name, Holy Ghost, and that's creepy, right? <laughs> Maybe you've heard that. Most often, people think of the Holy Spirit as a thing. Um, and so they end up treating him as such. Now, if we are to examine biblical translations, we're going to find in both the Hebrew and the Greek, they agree defining pneuma to mean wind, breath, or spirit. And, and again, don't miss what I said. Though we see that the word pneuma is a noun, the first thing I hope that we can see this morning, though every dictionary, American, Greek, Hebrew, refers to Holy Spirit as a noun, we know that Holy Spirit is not a place, is not a thing, but a person. A person. Holy Spirit is a who, not a what, not a where. He is a person, and he is very personal and personable. So if Holy Spirit is not a place or a thing, then who is he? First things first, as somewhat confusing as this could get in just a minute, listen, go with me. We have to establish this first. There is only one true God. If you're taking notes, write that down. There's only one true God. Let me give you some verses. Deuteronomy 6, 4 is where we start. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? Uh, Isaiah 45, verse 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. 1 Corinthians 8, 4, um, there is no God but what? 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there is God. Yeah. So then, who is the Holy Spirit if there's only one God? With this understanding that there is only one true God, we also have to somewhat wrap our minds and hearts around this truth. With faith, in faith, there is one God, but our God is one, but Plural. <laughs> our God is one but plural in the Old Testament the Hebrew word most often translated God is actually Elohim which is actually a plural noun one God yet plural with three distinctions so in the singular Godhead or maybe it's better understood if we use this word Godhood in the singular Godhood we understand that God is one yet God is plural in that God is triune we say triune which means three because we believe there are three parts or better said three distinctions three persons of the Godhead Godhood God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit is this clear as mud yet all right now let me show you this in and through scripture really quickly. Genesis 1.1, 1, 1. We, we, we've read this, we've heard this, we, we talk about this often. In the beginning, who? God created, right? Genesis 1.2, and it says this, um, the earth was formless, dark, there's, and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. The spirit of God, Holy Spirit, second distinctive, second person here, hovering over the surface of the waters. Genesis 1.26, look at the language. Then God, who is one, said, let what? Us. Make him man in our image, our image, according to our likeness. So let us make mankind in our image, imago Dei, in our likeness. Now, three distinctives. One person. Um, let's not compare too hard here, but let me just illustrate for you in man. Body, soul, spirit. Don't go too far in that analogy. 
Leave it there. Okay? Three distinctives. Body, soul, spirit. However, look, it, 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 this, that, again, that def, it's not good enough when trying to explain the triune God, the Trinity. In fact, listen, can I tell you this? The greatest of theologians, the greatest, most studied, most scholarship of theologians would tell you that the doctrine of the Trinity is not something easily and definitely not flippantly explainable. You could study for years and years and years and not even barely scratch the surface. Almost like neuroscience, but even greater. We aren't finished yet. Listen, so far we see God the Father, we see God the Spirit. Look at John chapter 1, verse 1. What does it say? In the beginning was the, and the Word was, and the Word, right. See, all unified and present and active from creation on. In the beginning, we know the Word to be who? Jesus. He was with God. He was God. See, most of us have some sort of understanding of God the Father. Uh, we spend a whole lot of time talking about God the Son, Jesus. But who is the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, or again, Godhood. Because Holy Spirit is a person, we can refer to Holy Spirit in a personal way. And when we say pneuma, we mean this vital spirit, this vital God spirit, this person of God, this wind, this breath, God's breath, um, a breath of fresh air. In fact, Pastor Chris Hodges from Highlands in, in, in Alabama always says, it's a breath of fresh air, a breath of fresh air. This is vital to our existence. And so we understand and we know and we are enabled to truly walk an abundant life when we begin to have a greater understanding of who Holy Spirit is. You've heard that promise, have you not? The thief comes to what? Still kill and? But Jesus came to give life and life what? And we're gonna see, even as Jesus is talking, abundant life, it's a promise, but it's almost like if I gave you a Maserati, anybody, anybody, then you get a car and you get it. This isn't Oprah, by the way, so everybody relax. But if I gave you a Maserati, and I never gave you the keys and you never put gas in it. What are you going to do? Abundant life. Abundant life. A breath of fresh air. Another Hebrew word for this is ruach. A wind, a breath, a violent exhalation, a blast of breath. We can see this in creation. God breathes and when God exhales, literally he breathes life, creation into existence. Genesis 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground. And what? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of what? And man became a living being. In the book of Job, chapter 33, Job, we even see Job declare so much. Look at 33, verse 4. It says, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. The breath. Ruach. Life, Isaiah 42, 5, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth in its offering, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit, life to those who walk in it. See, in his breath, there is life. Again, I think this is why Pastor Chris always says, a breath of fresh air, Holy Spirit, ruach, life-giving breath. Maybe, just maybe, some of us are here today and we need a breath of fresh air. Everybody just take a big, deep breath right now. Big, deep breath. See, we need life-giving breath. We need ruach, pneuma, the breath of God through the person of Holy Spirit. P.S., can I say this? This is what we pray for here every week. This is what we pray is happening when you choose to say yes and be obedient to the Lord if he's calling you into this family and go to DNA. This is, this is what we pray for in our every small group that meets everywhere all over the 386 and beyond is that the breath of God would just breathe over that group. That, that, that this breath of fresh air would just be received every time you go. Sometimes you don't even understand it. You're like, I don't even know if I like those people that much. But you know what? I love what happens, right? It's okay. If you don't like them that much, just wait a few weeks and we'll start over, okay? <laughs> Ruach. I wrote this down and I was thinking about it and it's been spinning in my mind. As we exalt Jesus, the Bible says he draws near, right? When you draw, when we exalt him, he draws close. As we exalt him, we pray that he would exhale upon us. 
giving us life-giving breath. This is who Holy Spirit is. He's life-giving breath. And can I say this? Look, we need this. You're not going to survive. Let me just pause regularly scheduled notes, which is dangerous for me, but the faith formulas will not work. Can I tell you that? That they, look, they may teach us how to live and exist in a fenced-in pasture of morality to certain degrees, but the faith formulas just aren't going to work for us. You know why we have so much deconstruction right now in the world? You know what that means? Where people who once claimed Christ now are deconstructing their faith because all of a sudden my truth um, seems to trump the truth, and therefore now I've got to deconstruct because it's not going my way, and God doesn't look like me, and blah, blah, blah. Wah, 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 right? Get a helmet. Get a safe space. We need Holy Spirit. We need Holy Spirit to fall upon us. We need the breath of God, the ruach, the wind, pneuma, the current of air, this blast of breath, this strong, refreshing breeze. Holy Spirit is the wind of God. Now, what do we know about wind? Well, wind, uh, it can be unpredictable, right? Um, it is unseen. Look at John chapter three, verse eight. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. So everyone is born of the Spirit. Um, this always reminds me of this old vineyard song. Um, There's the wind blowing. Don't know where it comes from, don't know where it goes, but let it blow over me. Great prayer. It's unpredictable. It's unseen. Also, wind can be powerful. Look at Acts chapter 2. Oh, oh, that the church would return back to these foundational days and understand the power in the Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost had come. What did Jesus say? Wait, hang out. I know it's weird. I know it's politically awkward. I know you may be under persecution. I know someone may come after you and try to kill you D-E-D -E dead. But chill and wait for the promise. Pentecost, they're all together in one place. Maybe your scripture says accord. That is not a Honda. That would be interesting. <laughs> Suddenly, there came from heaven a noise, a violent rushing wind. There it is. Do you see it? Numa. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Sometimes it can be powerful. Consider the force of a tornado. Consider, we all know about this. Consider the force of a hurricane. Winds that blow so strong and so violently that they can annihilate everything in its path in a matter of seconds. There's a story about a little boy who was flying a kite. It's a windy day. And um, as the kite just it kept going higher and higher and higher. Finally, it got so high, man, it was out of sight. A man passes by and he's looking at this boy, the string, and he's not seeing anything up there. And he, he sees it and he, he looks at the little boy and, and he, he basically says, hey, um, look, how do you even know there's a kite up there? You know what the boy said? Because I can feel it. I can feel it. See, although we can't see Holy Spirit, we should be able to sense Holy Spirit even when I don't see it, he's working. And what is he doing? Well, we'll see some things in a minute, but let me start here. He's changing us more and more into the image of Christ when we're surrendered to him, when we're leaning in, when we're trusting and abiding and walking in his spirit. See, who is he? Well, let me just say it simply put. Robert Morris, Pastor Robert Morris, who I deeply revere, says this. Holy Spirit is God. He's God. He's part of, remember, God is one. Father, Son, Spirit, plural, He's God. Now, if you're like me, something in your little theological Rolodex just kind of went, ooh, wait, what? But I, just as I challenged myself and started doing a lot of study for years and years and years, doesn't make me smarter than anybody in the room, I would challenge you though. He's God. And we're gonna, we'll see more as we go through this series. Just what, just, he's God. In fact, here's something else Pastor Robert said. There needs to become a renewed respect that he is our God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is God. So what does he do? We see who he is, but what does he do? I'm glad you asked. Welcome. This is probably one of the more important things I think that we might hear this morning, especially in light of the last series that we just wrapped up, Letters of Lament. If you will, turn your Bibles to the book of John with me. If you've got your Bible there, if you don't have a physical copy, we would love to give you one. You can find those um, at all the response tables where you see uh, Eucharist supplies and where you see different cards, connect cards and all kinds of stuff. But look at the book of John. You can look on your phone. We're gonna give you the text on the screens as well. 
Go to chapter 14. Now we're going to start this passage. We see Jesus trying to encourage his followers here. Um, uh, there's some things that are about to happen. I do believe that we can apply every one of these scriptures to ourselves as well. He, he's, he's basically about to leave his disciples. He's going to have conversations about this all through chapter 14, 15, and 16. He's trying to prepare his disciples for when he leaves. He wants them to, he wants to help them understand what they can expect. But he also, I think he's wanting to stir up a passion inside of them to continue to walk in faith no matter what they encounter, right? Realizing their expectations won't always align with their experiences because Jesus knows and he's trying to prepare them. He's trying to tell them, look, you're going to endure hardships. There's going to be a level of suffering that you're going to face. You're going to grieve losses. You're going to grieve my loss. And they're going to feel the pain of the unknown. And Jesus knows this. So realizing that he needs to prepare his people for all that's about to happen, he begins in chapter 14. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Remember, God is one. And here's Jesus saying, believe in God, but believe also in me. In other words, when the trying times come, and they will. When hardship comes, and it will. When loss happens, and it will. When disappointment comes, and it's going to come. When grief comes, and it will. When suffering comes, and it will. When persecution comes, and loneliness comes, and it will. Jesus is saying, don't let your heart be overcome with trouble. Don't let your heart be overtaken by anxiety. Don't let your heart be overwhelmed in depression. Take heart. Hold on to hope. Keep the faith. Believe in God. Believe also in me, he says. Now, he could have just stopped with saying, believe in God. Could have and should have and would have been enough. But because our God is one with three distinct persons, because, and listen, and because Jesus is our manifest expression of God, who we will begin to celebrate next month in the form of Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus says, believe in God and in him. Believe what he's saying. He goes on, verse two. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. There are many rooms. If that were not so, I wouldn't bother even tell you about it. And look what he says next, because this little part too, right here, um, this verse, this is going to become very important in weeks to come. He says, I'm going to go there to be with my father, where all those dwelling places are, where those rooms are, and I am going to go there to prepare a place for you. See, he's foreshadowing future information right here. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, then supposition, hello, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to myself so that where I am there, you will also be. And somebody needs to get some hope out of this right now, this morning. Listen, he says, and you know the way where I'm going. <laughs> now struggling, doubting Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? <laughs> And Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Powerful passage. Not religion, not morality, not spirituality, not economy, not polit political. Not I am the way, the truth, and the life. Everything you're looking for, everything you're longing for, everything you're searching for, everything you're striving for, you find in me. And you're never going to have access to the Father unless you go through me. I'm the gatekeeper. I'm the door. I'm the entrance. So he's trying to paint this amazing grand vision for them of what's to come. But what is to come is for a future time. Right now in this time, he's going on. Look at verse 16. Notice what he says. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper comforter, advocate, intercessor, so that he may be with you forever. So Jesus right here just evoked the triune Godhood in this one verse. I, Jesus the Son, am, I'm, I'm going to go on your behalf to the Father God, and Father God is going to send another helper, Holy Spirit. Who is Holy Spirit? He is God. What does he do? Well, he helps us. He comforts us. He empowers us. He advocates for us. He intercedes on our behalf. Jesus goes on. Look at verse 17. The helper is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and will be with you. This is Jesus' modality, if you will, when he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But wait, you just told us you're about to leave. Right. 
but I'm going to send, if I, I got it, look, I'm going to send, I'm going to ask Father to send Holy Spirit and he will always be with you. God is one, but plural. Look at verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And he will remind you of all that I've said to you. So what does he do? He's our helper. He's our teacher. He's going to remind us of the words and the promises and the truth of Jesus. Again, in verse 27, Jesus doubles down on his encouragement. Peace, I'm going to leave you. Peace, I give you. Not, it's my peace. It's not as the world gives. I'm not going to give you that kind of peace. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why does he say this? Because he knows stuff's about to go down. This is going to get hard. You're going to hurt. It's going to cost you. But I'll give you my peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. See, he knows that life's going to be difficult. He knows that all of creation is groaning for redemption. He knows that his followers will need to be reminded to take heart. Look at John 15, verse 26. When the helper, Holy Spirit, comes... Whom I will send to you from the Father, namely the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father. What does Jesus say? He says, he's going to testify about me. Here's another thing that Holy Spirit does. He always points to Jesus. He always points to Jesus. Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. He declares Jesus. You want a litmus test to try to discern, is this the Holy Spirit or not? Is it pointing to Jesus or is it pointing to you? He's always pointing to Jesus. Look at chapter 16, verse 14. It says, he will glorify me and he will take from mine and will disclose it to you. He will always glorify Jesus and whatever needs to be known from the Father, he will then deposit to you. In 2020, we lost a theological faith giant, a revered pastor and author named J.I. Packer five days before his 94th birthday. Man, can I tell you, in 2009, I had the privilege to sit in the room with Dr. Packer and actually hear him preach. I think at the I, he was 80-something at that point, and, and he would just kind of, <laughs> he would stand at the podium like this, and every now and then he would go, make sure people were still there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he was fascinating. Man, so many amazing things. He wrote this book called The Father Loves You, published in 86, and this is what he said of the Holy Spirit. He said, the, the Holy Spirit's distinctive role is to fulfill what we might call a floodlight ministry in relationship to the Lord Jesus. So far as this role was concerned, the spirit was not yet, John 7, 29, literal Greek. He's not yet. While Jesus was on earth, only when the father had glorified him, John 17, 1 and 5, could the spirit's work of making men aware of Jesus' glory began. Packer says, I remember walking to church one winter evening to preach on the words, he will glorify me, of John 16, 14. Seeing the building floodlit as I turned the corner, I realized that this is exactly the illustration that my message needed. When floodlighting is well done, the floodlights are placed so that you don't really even see them. In fact, you're not supposed to see where the light's coming from. What you're meant to see is just the building on which the floodlights are trained. The intended effect is to make it visible when otherwise it would not be seen for the darkness and to maximize its dignity by throwing all its details into relief so that you can see it properly. He says this perfectly illustrated the Spirit's new covenant role. He is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. Or think of it this way. It's as if the Spirit stands behind us throwing light over our shoulder onto Jesus who stands facing us. The Spirit's message to us is never, oh, look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me, but always look at him, see his glory, listen to him, hear his word, go to him, have life, get to know him, and taste his gift of joy and peace. The Spirit, we might say, is the matchmaker, the celestial marriage broker, whose role it is to bring us and Christ together and ensure that we stay together. Dr. Packer, back to John 16. See, we see Jesus continue to encourage his followers as he's about to leave. And, and look at what he says starting in verse 5 of John 16. He says, I'm going, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you have yet asked me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, grief has filled your heart. So he's talking to them. He's like, yeah, I've been, I've been talking about this. I'm about, to, I'm about to head out. Peace. Maybe that's where we get the picture of the lamb and the, hey, I'm, I'm out, nerds. Whatever, right? 
He's leaving. And instead of asking, no, you're filled with grief. He says, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. Please do not miss this. This rocked my world. Jesus says, here's the truth. It's actually to your advantage that I'm leaving. If I don't leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, then I'll be able to send him to you. I really want you to hear that. The first time I read that, I had to stop and repent. Can I tell you why? Just be honest for a second. I was so deeply frustrated that there was so much deficiency in my spiritual discipleship early on. Because as good, and it was, as good as my theological upbringing was, it was good. It was deficient in the sense of we didn't talk about Holy Spirit. And maybe you kind of, Maybe that's the way you were raised too in some way, form or fashion. But we just really didn't. We would say, oh yeah, Holy Spirit. We talk about, oh yeah. But we didn't really study what, first of who is Holy Spirit? What is his role in my, in my life? Jesus says, it's to your advantage if I go. If I don't go, I can't send the helper to you. Now I want you to think about this. Jesus is saying, it's better for you that I leave. It's advantageous even more to you that I go because if I go, then I can send Holy Spirit. Imagine being one of the disciples who walked with Jesus. Imagine being one of the disciples who he is talking to who literally saw Jesus heal sick people. Imagine being a disciple who watched Jesus cast out demons from demonically controlled people. Imagine these disciples seeing Jesus raise people from the dead. And here's Jesus telling them, yeah, so things are about to get harder. They're not going to go the way you want them to go. And I'm about to head out. But you know what? Be glad. If I don't go, then I can't send you this other guy. It's to your advantage. I mean, what could be better than Jesus? Really, I mean, what could be better than the guy who can heal sick people, multiply a happy meal, and feed a small city? Hello? Deliver people from demonic possession, and oh yeah, bring people back to life from that pesky little thing called death. Hello, remember Lazarus? What could be better? And this helper, this Holy Spirit is supposed to be better than this. Crazy, listen, the Holy Spirit points people to Jesus, glorifies Jesus, and here's Jesus saying, I'm gonna tell you the truth. Listen, it's to your advantage that I'm gonna head out. If I don't leave, the helper can't come, but if I go, I get to send him to you. See, evidently, Jesus believes that the Holy Spirit is someone we really need to know. But pastor, look, I... I haven't really learned that much about Holy Spirit. I grew up in a tradition that we really didn't talk about it. We didn't believe in it, it, him, whatever. Um, I don't know all these things, if I'm being honest. And it seems a bit odd to me, a Holy Ghost. That's kind of weird. Isn't that weird? I mean, does it make me weird? Am I going to have to wear a long skirt? Am I going to have to wear makeup? Am I, do I not get to wear makeup? Like, what's going to happen? I've seen it on religious TV. Am I going to start, like, doing crazy things, like barking like dogs and clucking like chickens? Like, what's going to happen? Again, let me quote someone who I admire, Pastor Morris. It's not the Holy Spirit that is weird. It's people that are weird. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Somebody said, amen. It's people that are weird. It's immature people. It's insecure people that are weird. It's not the Holy Spirit. He is not weird. It's not weird. Listen. <laughs> it's really the, and, and I love, I love, I love passion. I love someone who's zealous. Man, I want to be around those people. Anybody? I love that. But we can't allow our immaturity and our insecurity to begin to cause us to do things that draw attention to ourselves and then blame the Holy Spirit for it. We can't do that. I mean, because of that, listen, we have created whole systems and traditions of theology that think that we need Holy Spirit in limited doses or that we carefully approach the subject of Holy Spirit with seatbelts. 
I got a buddy who's like, I believe in the Holy Spirit with seatbelts. Okay, that's like saying, God, I believe you with seatbelts. With seatbelts. See, it's tragic how our enemy who wants to steal from us, destroy us, and kill us has manipulated us by giving part of the Godhead a bad rep. How tragic is it that the enemy has accomplished his objective of causing many believers to be scared of the very agent that God sent to us to help us, to counsel us, to correct us, to convict us, to encourage us, to empower us, to reflect Jesus to us. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, think of it this way. If Holy Spirit is weird, then God is weird. Here's the truth this morning. We need Holy Spirit. We need Numa. Because in him is abundant life. That's where we begin to walk in abundance. We begin to see it and live it and breathe it. And we need Ruach because in him we find encouragement in him. There's counsel, there's abundance, there's power. We're reminded that, that we can have hope when darkness seems to overwhelm, when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, when the dark night of the soul visits us for far too long. We need hope. Listen, that's not gonna come from our religious rules and our faith formulas. We're gonna check out of that real quick. Curse you, God. That's what we're gonna end up doing. It didn't work, so therefore I gotta deconstruct. You know what the X factor is that, that establishes that our King, God, is the King of all kings? Not just the fact that Jesus died. He was raised back to life. And then the very same spirit that raised him from the life, he sent to live inside of us. No other religion and no other God can say that. Because no other religion and no other God has done that. Period. So what do we need to do? Well, let me end where we began in the Holy Spirit. We are ridiculously rich, wealthy beyond the world's imagination and comprehension. We have everything that we could ever need. More than enough promised to us. We are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And because of this, we have access to every resource of his kingdom. It's already ours. But do we know him? Do we believe him? Do we live like we know him? Do we live like we believe him? Have we accessed him? See, maybe this morning, we all need to take a big, deep breath. A big, deep breath. Ephesians 4, 30 in the message paraphrase says this. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. We're going to talk about this later. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life. Making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Gift. So how do we do that? Well, maybe we start this way. Number one, if you're taking notes. Let go of our unmerited fears and our misperception. Let go. Let go. Hey, I, I love it. I, I, I'm so thankful for the brother Bobs of my world as I grew up. But if they were wrong on this, I got to let it go. I got to let it go. There's nothing to be afraid of. Maybe I've misunderstood. Lord Jesus, would you give me clarity? Give me wisdom. You ask for wisdom. Bible tells you he will give it help me see the truth about Holy Spirit it is a gift let me die to any potential lies of the enemy let me die to all potential pitfalls of tradition let it go let it go let it go just playing don't, don't. let it go listen let me, look could it be that our religious traditions have kept us in bondage and not enabled and empowered us to live in abundance? Could it be? Proverbs 3, 5, message, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. You got to have faith. Just trust God. Let go of the fear and the misperception. Number two, go all in. Go all in. God, here I am. You reveal to me whatever you want me to know. Take me wherever you want me to go. Do with me whatever you want to do. Go all in. Proverbs 3, 5, trust God. Jeremiah 29, 13, when you come looking for me, you'll find me. When you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. Go all in. Search, seek, ask, invite. Go all in. Number three, develop an intimate friendship with Holy Spirit. 
2 Corinthians 13, 14. Again, message paraphrase. The amazing grace of the master, Jesus, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. That is my prayer for this house. Amen. There would be an intimate friendship between you and Holy Spirit. I think it's Pastor Chris Hodges that said this too. He said, God the Father loves me. Jesus the Son saves me. And God the Holy Spirit is with me. God the Father loves me. Jesus the Son saves me. And God the Holy Spirit is with me. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Maybe this message hits a little more home to some of us than others because we completely understand what Jesus was trying to warn his followers about. Life hurts sometimes. Sometimes it's hard to take heart. Sometimes the faith formulas aren't working. And we just need the comfort of Holy Spirit. Can I pray for you this morning? Would you stand to your feet and we're going to close. We're going to invite the team to sing over us in just a second um, as we come to the table. But I'm going to invite you this morning, if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you want to know about this friendship with Holy Spirit. It all begins with a surrender to Jesus. I know, clear as mud, we have one God. And the way to Him is through Jesus, just like John 14 verse 6 said. And then everything from that point forward (laughs) begins to happen. It's amazing. That moment of surrender, huh? Everything begins to flood in at that moment. So if you're here and you've never trusted your life in the hands of Jesus, and you want to, would you just pray with me? It's, it's nothing magical happening. It's just you confessing your desire and your need. And the Bible tells us it's a promise. You call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So you just say, Jesus, would you save me? I believe you. Thank you that you died for me to pay for my sin. And now I can have access to the Father. And I need a Father. I need a father. I think that's for somebody specific today, by the way. I really need a father. Let's keep praying. Maybe you pray this. Would you empty me of all my past and my sin and my shame, my regret, my pain? And would you fill me with your Holy Spirit in this moment, I pray. Hey, look, with your eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, would you lift a hand up so I can see you and just hold it up for just a second? Anybody? Anybody? I'm still looking. So. Anybody? Okay, I see you. Thank you. Thank you. If you're online and, you, and you've prayed that, I'm going to invite those of you who said yes to Jesus this morning. We've got a place on the website that hopefully we'll help answer some questions and encourage you and help you understand a little deeper about what just happened in this moment. You can text the word Jesus to the number 43,000 and it'll take you there. And we would love for you to do that. And if you're here this morning and you're still seeking and you're still waiting and you're still asking, what we're about to do is we're going to come to the table of the Lord can look up for just a moment and and um, if you're not quite yet ready to say Jesus I surrender everything to you what we're about to do I'm going to ask you to just stay where you are I'm going to speak a blessing over you and there's a reason for that I want you to hear this God wants everyone at his table and he welcomes everyone at his table but what we're about to do we call sacramental I don't really know how to explain that other than to say, man, God does something really special, significant, and supernatural when we come to his table. 
And the Bible tells us, in fact, kind of warns us that when we come, make sure we come in a manner that's worthy, meaning righteous, clean, set apart, know that I'm forgiven because I've surrendered my life to Jesus. So that's why I say, man, if you're not quite ready to surrender yet, that's okay, man. God is chasing you. He loves you. He loves you. That's why you're here. Believe it or not. You may wonder why you're here. It's because God is pursuing you. He loves you. But what I don't want to do is invite you to do something that the Bible is telling you not to do just yet. So can I just speak this blessing over you before um, we come to the table as the church who said, yes, Jesus, you're my Lord. So let me just say this. May the Lord reveal himself to you in personal and powerful ways. May he bless you with peace. May you know his kindness as he draws you even closer day by day until the day where you're ready to accept the gift of life and love and forgiveness and eternal life that he has for you. Amen. Now, if we're here this morning and we've surrendered our lives to Jesus, I want to just give us a moment to just have a moment of confession. Whatever we're confessing to the Lord, he's faithful and he is just to forgive. And when he forgives, it's totally, it's completely, as far as the east is from the west, he will not recall it, chooses not to remember it any longer, never holds it against you. See, it was on the night that Jesus was about to be betrayed and go to the cross to pay for our sin that he gathered in that upper room with his most intimates, his faithful followers, some that struggled, showing us that... You know what? We may love Jesus, but sometimes we may struggle. We may follow Jesus, but sometimes we may struggle. And there's even grace for you and me. And as he was with them, he took bread and he held it up as an illustration, as a sign. And he said, this bread represents my body that will be broken for you. See, he was whole and we were broken, but he willingly and obediently and humbly allowed himself to be beat and bruised and torn and broken so that we could be made whole. Likewise, he took a cup of wine, a cup of salvation that would represent his blood that would be spilled on our behalf to not just cover our sin, but to take it away, to redeem us and restore us and justify us, which means to make us just as if we'd never sinned. He said, this cup represents my blood that I'll pour out on your behalf. See, he was full and we were empty, but he willingly and humbly and obediently emptied himself so that we could be filled. So I'm going to ask the serve team to get in place. And I'm going to ask you to pray as the team sings over us before we go. And this morning, when you're ready, and you feel like you've had time with the Lord to say, God, give me clean hands and a pure heart. God, would you point out anything that you would find in me that might grieve you? And then you confess those things. When you're ready, I want you to come to the table. Take a piece of that bread. The surf team, hey, listen to me, team, if you will. Um, when you walk forward, would you look at that surf team person and would you tell them your name? Immediately. My name is John. Great, because they're going to say this to you. As you reach and you grab that piece of bread that represents the broken body of Christ, they're going to say, John, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Okay, team? And then when you move to that juice, you're going to take it and dip it right into that juice. And that serve team member is going to say, John, this is the blood of Christ that was spilled for you. Now make sure you say it loud enough that they can hear you, okay? Because some of us, we get older. And then you take and you eat and drink. And the Bible says that when we do that, we declare his death until he returns for us. We declare his death, yet we wait in longing, anticipation in this new season, if you will, of Advent. We wait in hope because he's coming back. Amen. All right. The team is going to lead us. You pray. And when you're ready, you come to the table. And you eat and you drink and you remember and you declare. Okay. All right, team.
Hey, thank you so much for checking us out online today. If you need to make a decision about the next steps in your faith journey with Jesus, text CONNECT to 43000. And if you took the first step in your faith journey today by saying yes to Jesus, we want to know about it and we want to walk with you. So text JESUS to 43000. There you will find some resources and a message from Pastor John. There are so many ways to connect to Declaration. Check out declaration.org to find out more about who we are. Before we go, let's say our declaration together. Because of what the gospel has done in and to us, our lives exist to help people encounter and follow Jesus. We will devote ourselves to his word, his presence, and his people. We desire authenticity, intimacy, a heart of service, and to see his kingdom come. We are for Jesus and for people. Hey, have a great week. We're so glad you joined us. Bye for now.